Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Coolangatta podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us in our series, First Peter, Hope in the Midst of Suffering. In this series, we will discover how to experience hope within suffering through learning how to embrace love, submission, and identity in the midst of challenges as we follow the example of Christ. We pray that this message is a blessing. Hi friends, my name is Michael. Um, I'm the guy getting ordained on Thursday nights. If I've not had the pleasure of meeting you before, um, I get the privilege of serving as lead minister. We have three churches at New Life, uh, soon to be four. We just planted or begin, we're in the middle of planting our fourth church. And uh, I get to your work with Scott and the other pastors, just what it means to lead this movement of churches. So, hey, if you're free Thursday night and have nothing else on and you're looking for a really exciting time, that won't be it necessarily, but we'd love to invite you to my ordination. That'd be fantastic. Hey, it's an honor to be here. Um, I've walked with uh, Pastor Scott and Georgie Wrigley for many years now, and it's an honor to, to preach in the church they lead. Uh, Scott's a great pastor, and I know that you get to sit under his teaching regularly, uh, and so it's not because Scott doesn't want to preach. It's more just me giving him a, a break, but I mean, I think that New Life God has some of the best teaching um, in Australia, but also just really solid Bible teaching. Who appreciates the teaching here at New Life? Yeah, it's beautiful. Lots of hands, Scott. Lots of responses to the gospel. It's fantastic. Um, but once again, though, the back row, no one raised their hand. So you do with that what you will. Uh, he'll come chat with you after the service. Friends, um, I'm excited to be here today as we keep stepping into the book of 1 Peter. Um, and what I'd love to do as we begin is before, I want to let you know of something's happened in my life. The last time I was here, my wife was about seven months pregnant. Um, now we've landed that plane really well. She did a bunch of work. I just kind of watched and observed as she gave birth to Bonnie. Um, this is a pretty terrifying photo because she's like 5,000 times bigger than she actually is. Uh, and so she's not actually that size, although she was 10 pounds, 4 ounces upon entry. So, um, yeah, that's it. For those of you who know, you know. Uh, but Sarah's doing really, really well. She's a warrior. Uh, you know, I just, I'm so amazed at who she is and the woman of God that I got to marry. Um, so we're excited. A couple of quick questions. I'm not sleeping, but God's still good and he's on the throne. So uh, we don't have to discuss that straight after the service. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we pause and we just center ourselves upon you. Lord, I just thank you so much that we get to sit under your word today. Now, Lord, what, what I'm bringing right now is just my, my loaves and my fishes, just basically what I have. But only you can bring a miracle. Only you can transform lives. So Jesus, right now, may you be glorified in this place. Holy Spirit, would your power be known. May we all encounter the living God today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, real quick, before I get started, I just felt on my heart, I want to honor Susie, uh, your kid's pastor. I brought Banner down, my, my second son's, like how we're, you know, doing parenting at the moment, like we, you know, zone defense. And, uh, and so I brought Banner down, thinking Kids Life was on, Kids Life wasn't on in the first service. But Susie, your kid's pastor, is just like, leave him with me. She took him so I could preach. And I'm just saying, like, I know my kids, they're a lot. And she's just, now she's doing it again for the second service. So I just think you've got an amazing kids ministry here. Have you got kids? They're being discipled really well. 
Ben is two years old and uh, was reciting the book of Leviticus after the 8 a.m. service. So uh, good luck on the way home, parents. Friends, back in 2021, uh, census data was released about Christianity, about Australia, but particularly about Christianity. And we found out that back in 2021, only 43% of Australians were Christians. 43% of Australians were Christians. Now, that's, that's a lot. That's not a small number. That's, that's a couple of million Australians. But we also found out that 38% of Australians opted for no religion at all. And the reason why it's interesting is because five years before that, in 2016, we found out that 51% of Australians were Christian and that only 30% of Australians identified as non-Christian or no religion at all. It's an interesting trajectory that we are on in this nation at the moment. The reason why I raise it is because it's really important that we, for the majority of us here today who are Christians, acknowledge that there is a trajectory in our nation. Christianity is not on the incline. We are on a radical decline. In fact, by the next census in the next couple of years, I fully expect that Christianity will be a minority faith for the first time in Australia. We're still the majority at 43%. But I think by the next census, we will be a minority faith. And the reason why I say that is it's stark reality for us to sit in this moment. Because often as Christians, we can look at the world around us and we can become grieved that it doesn't look anything like we think it should. The politicians don't seem to ask us before they make laws. They don't ask us before they call referendums. They're not really inquiring about what the Christian value or mindset is. The cultural Christianity has been on the way out for years. And in our lifetime, if you are a follower of Jesus, you will represent a minority faith in Australia. Now, for everyone in this room, no one in this room has ever lived in the nation of Australia with a minority faith in Christianity. Why do I say that? Because we're stepping into a future that none of us have experienced, none of us know, and none of us have really understood how to live in it. Now, if you're a non-Christian here today and you probably walked into church and, and you're thinking, going, yeah, I can see it. It makes sense. The Christians don't understand how much damage they've done. Maybe you are a Christian in the room today and you're thinking, wow, Michael, what a great encouraging way to start the message today. I'm feeling so uplifted. I might go hang out with Susie. Please do. She's awesome. But... Wherever we are today, we can't avoid the reality. And we have to ask the question this, how now shall we live? A couple of years ago, when I planted a church up in Brisbane, New Life Brisbane in 2018, uh, during the early stages, I got asked by a lady named Rebecca Livingston, who's on the ABC um, breakfast program um, on the radio. She asked me if I would come in and do an interview. And the basic premise of the interview was, why on earth would you plant a church when no one wants churches? It was a really positive um, framing for the interview. And I couldn't do the original date, and so she, that we, we moved the date, which is why I say it was completely coincidence where it landed. And on my way in on the new date, I turned on the ABC radio to find out what was going on, and Rebecca Livingston was there hosting the program, and I found out that their morning program, she would host and interview someone, and then in between the talk breaks, they were crossing live to the sentencing of Cardinal George Pell. And I was about to step into a live radio interview where the ad breaks weren't advertisements, they were the live sentencing of someone who's become synonymous with church abuse, rightfully or wrongfully. You don't want to talk about that part. It was heavy. And I was like, what on earth am I going to do? And in the middle of that, you know, she, they crossed back. And now we're crossing back from the courtroom to Rebecca Livingston, who's going to interview a church planter. And I was like, yay. And in this moment, she asked me about what I thought about the case, about Scott Morris, about faith in general. And she asked this interesting question. She said, why would you plant a church when Christianity is on the decline, when it's on the way out? 
And I, I think I'm not that smart of a guy, so I'm pretty sure it was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit just like dropped this word. He said, uh, I, I shouldn't think Christianity is on the way. I think nominal Christianity is on the decline. Easter and Christmas Christianity is, is not going to survive these coming years. But what you will see is a strengthening of people who call Jesus Lord and disciples of Jesus. We will see an increase of genuine, authentic discipleship that might look like a minority, but it will look like genuine faith. And I genuinely believe that, friends. The faith that we are called to carry for the future that we do not yet know will not stand if it's just apathetic, nominal Christianity. That this is just something we allocate time to for an hour on a Sunday, or we just rock up when it's convenient. Those who will continue to follow Jesus for the long haul will be those who recognize that it may get darker in the world around us, but we are called to shine brighter than ever. And here's the hope that we have today, is that the book of 1 Peter was actually written to a church walking through almost exactly the same kind of reality. Peter writes his, this letter to a church in Asia Minor who are a minority, who are experiencing pressure, who are experiencing ostracization, whose family members are leaving. Now, at that time, whilst they were, would face persecution that led to execution, they would face death, they would face imprisonment. At the time of writing, that hadn't yet become a reality. It was heading that way. But it was clear that to be a Christian wasn't popular. And Peter writes this letter. And friends, that means he can write it to us too today. The Bible wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. And we can glean the truth. When we, when we ask, how now shall we live? The book of 1 Peter is filled with wisdom. And so my hope here is this today. Maybe you're here and following Jesus isn't easy. Peter has something to say to you today. In fact, the Holy Spirit has a word for you today. Maybe you're here today and you're new to Christianity and everything's sky high, but on the horizon you can see storm clouds brewing. You're like, what will I do when this gets hard? Peter, the Holy Spirit, actually has something for you today. Maybe you're a Christian and you're tired and you're weary. I believe that God wants to speak to you today. Maybe you're here and you're not yet a Christian and you're wondering, why on earth would I be a part of this? I believe Peter paints a compelling vision for us today. On that note, would you join with me as we turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. The last couple of weeks, Scott has been preaching beautifully, and he preached last Sunday night at Rabina, and just um, it was such a gift. Thank you uh, for releasing Scott to come and preach. I know he didn't ask anyone, but it's, it's always really good that it was a gift. He preached the same message at night that he preached in the morning, and our 6 p.m. community just loved it. Two weeks ago, Scott preached about this. He said, he said that God, that Peter writes to people explaining, how do we live when the government around us isn't Christian? How do we live under that government? And, and he gives us some practical understanding of that. And then Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 2, how do we live in a workplace where our bosses might not be Christian and our co-workers might not be Christian? So Peter gives us some understanding of that. And then last week, he talks about how do we live in a household where our partner or our spouse or our family are not Christian? And Peter speaks into that. And so we enter in right on the back of that in verse chapter 8, where he started with government, he's gone to uh, the workplace, and now he's stepped into family. And now he just talks to all believers, no matter where you are, hey, this is a really good understanding of how now shall we live. Here it is. Finally, Peter says, all of you. Everyone say all of you. Be like-minded. Be si no, 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 sorry. Yeah. Just once. And it's going to be a really long sermon if you're like back and forth the whole time. Be awesome. Yeah. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be, but also really impressive that you did it at the same time. Like, come on. Usually at the Rabina 10 and 8 a.m. service, I'm like, guys, can someone talk to me, please? Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Peter writes to the church, and he says, at the end of the day, no matter where you are, let me tell you what you should be marked by. 
When I was young, um, I grew up in a household, a Christian household, but my parents were pretty strict. Whenever we went to someone's house, they were always like, hey, remember your pleases and thank yous. Anyone else's parents were like that? Secondly, always ask for water. Everyone else in the house could be drinking Coke. And they're like, what would you like, Michael? Like, water. And like, you sure you don't want water? You sure you don't want Coke? I'm like, no, mum, we'll find out. I'll have a water, thank you. Right? And so we were like, like genuinely, I'm sorry, Wrigley boys. Is that where you at? Yeah, it's because your mum's a warrior princess, right? So there's this moment where, where, where it was like, so as I grew up, they also taught me other things. They said, when you go to a house, leave a good impression. So take something with you. So you ring me and you're like, hey, Michael, don't bring anything. You bring nothing to dinner. And I'm still rocking up with like chocolates or like roses or like, you know, stories. Not anymore because when someone invites me to dinner and bring nothing, I'm like, and I've got three kids, I just, I take it that you meant bring nothing. So I don't even bring my family. I just rock up myself, right? It's just like freedom. But the reason is my parents were saying that is because they were, they were trying to communicate, hey, when, when you step into someone else's world or when someone else experiences you in community, make sure you leave a legacy that, that's a good impression. That's what Peter's saying. When a Christian rocks up to a party, when someone walks into a Christian party or a Christian community, when someone interacts with your life, what are they left with? Are they bringing everything? What characteristics, what are the fruit that you are known for? Peter says, be like-minded. Have unity. Fight for unity. Not everyone in the church is going to agree on every single issue, but we can agree on this. If you're a follower of Jesus, He is Lord. He is risen from the dead, and He is coming again. We can have unity around the basics. Sympathy. Care for one another. Actually care for what one another are going through. Be sympathetic. Love one another. What a challenge. Can you just look at the person in the room that you don't love at the moment? I saw some heads move. I saw some heads move. I won't highlight who you are. Be compassionate and humble. What's Peter saying? This is even in the main point today, but Peter starts off and he goes, okay, how you exist under governments, how you exist in a workplace, how you exist in a family. Hey, this is just should be a marker for a Christian life. Pastor Anna on the gold, uh, back up in Rabina preached two weeks ago. She said, you know, when life gets pressured, when stuff starts to squeeze on you, What comes out of you? When you are squeezed, what do you produce? Like-minded, sympathy, love, compassion, humility. When people walk into New York Kulangata, what do they encounter? What do they encounter? And would we be known and marked by something more and just an ability to sing songs like karaoke and then have a good coffee after the service. P.S. I thought Hanisi and Katie did a great job this morning. Beautiful. But here's, here's what I love. Paul's challenging us. Yeah, but Michael, sometimes I get cut off in traffic. And I'm, I've got to, I'm not being compassionate then because life's hard. But Paul, Peter knows this. So he goes, let me strengthen this. Let me tell you what you should do even when people don't treat you well. 1 Peter 3 verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Where do you get off, Peter? Hang on a second. Do you know what they said about me? Do you know what they did to me, Peter? Oh, it's nice being back in ancient Jerusalem where you had no problems, mate. But here in the real world, right, we start to... And even if we just started when someone cuts us off in traffic, what comes out of you? 
comes, can I tell you what comes out of me? Not good. I get angry. If you want to see someone that doesn't look anything like Jesus, drive with Michael in traffic. God is working with me on this. But it's true. My wife and I talk about it all the time. If I do believe that God wants to affect all of my life, even the way that I act when no one's watching. Repay evil with evil. Repay insult with insult. See, what Peter is talking about here is a controversial way that the Christians are called to live that is not just, hey, be a good person. It's be unreasonable with your goodness. Be unreasonable with your goodness. When the whole world says you should act like this, what does he say? Bless. Edmund P. Clowney would say it like this. He says, this is how Christians get even. They pay back evil with good insults with blessing. God says, you want to take revenge? Let's do it. Let's go bless them. Oh, God, something a little bit more juicy than that. A guy named Alfred, I forget his last name, Alfred Plummer, says, to return evil for good is devilish. To return good for good is human. To return good for evil is divine. Friends, Peter is teaching a new way of life. Teaching a new way of life where no matter what someone does to you, you know your immediate response. And how does Peter know this? Let me take you back to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that Jesus was betrayed where Peter was. And Peter's in this moment where he's with his Lord and Savior. They're praying. and Well, he's not praying. Peter was asleep. But Jesus is praying. And Jesus comes back because Judas Iscariot and a whole bunch of priests and soldiers are there. And they're about to rock up and they're going to arrest Jesus and take him to be killed. And Peter gets angry. Evil is happening in his sight. So what does Peter do? Peter pulls out his sword. I don't know if you remember. And he cuts off the ear of one of the guards. Repays evil with evil. What does Jesus do? Yeah, good one, Peter. Let's take the other ear as well. I mean, like, what was with the ear at all? Like, why, like, out of anything, he's like, I'm going to cut off your ear. I'm like, there could have been a bunch of other things you could have done with that sword, Peter. But he just went for the ear. Good for you, Peter. And what does Jesus do? Jesus stops, he picks up the ear, and he heals the soldier. And then he allows himself to be arrested. Peter writes this because he saw it. He saw it take place. When was the last time someone came to arrest you and take you away to your death for something you didn't do? Yes, Michael, but they cut me off in traffic. <laughs> Peter's not saying something that he hasn't seen. He's saying something he knows works, that transforms lives. Now, when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 44, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Peter just dares to believe he meant it. Because, friends, here's the thing. We are meant to represent a kingdom and a king to a world that knows not much of either. We're meant to carry the character and culture of not the world around us, but the king that we serve. You see, there are kind of two different ways that people think you can be Christian. Over here, you can kind of conform to the world around you. You can water down your faith and make it palatable, where you're just like, you look exactly like everyone around you. And there were Jews that were like this. Matthew, the tax collector, was like this. He just became like the Romans. Or you have this other form of Christianity, which is like this holy huddle group of people who I don't know if you remember in the 90s, if you were a Christian back then, when everyone's like, burn every CD that's not about Jesus. Does anyone remember that? 
No, just me. I had a traumatic childhood, right? And so I burn everything. It's like, don't talk to anyone that watches Harry Potter because it's terrible. We're all just going to have our holy, holy. Like, that's, that's fine. That's a decision you made as a parent. I realized there was no laughter then. So some of you clearly still walking through that decision-making process. And, it's like, and so everyone's like in this holy huddle, like anything not God we don't want to interact with. But Jesus comes in with a third way, not removal and not like this conformity. He says, step into the world. Don't become like the world, but bless the world. Bless it. Some of us are so busy running away from people who don't know Jesus, we've forgotten that God's called you to step in and bless them and love them and seek their good. Some of you are like, yeah, but you don't know what my boss did. You don't know what my family member did. You don't know what happened to me. And Jesus says, they killed me. And still I sought to bless them. This is not what I'm saying. I'm not saying if there are unsafe people in your world, go be in proximity to them. That is not what I'm saying. Allow judicial process to happen. People need to be submitted to the law of the land if they've done wrong things. But friends, you don't need to be in proximity to someone to bless them. This is why Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you because you don't need to be close to pray. And I was preaching this in the 8 a.m. service. I thought I was sweet. I thought I was in front of you being like, nailed this. I'm so excited. And then God just got this name on my heart. Just like blinking at me being like, bless them. I'm fighting while preaching. The ADM says, like, nope. I was like, man, straight after the service, I need to actually come before God. And I said, God, how can I bless this person? It's a family member for me. How can I bless this family member? It's actually my son, Archer. He's four years old. He's a real butt dumb kid. That's not really. like, whoa. Bless them, Jesus says. I didn't say this in the ADM, but I'll quickly say it here. Martin Luther King says this. To, um, It'll be on the next slide. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. We never get rid of an enemy by meeting them with hate, by meeting hate with hate. We get rid of an enemy by getting rid of enmity. By its very nature, hate destroys and tears down. By its very nature, love creates and builds up. Love transforms with redemptive power. Let's bless the world, friends. But Michael, I'm walking through suffering. Peter is writing this to a church who aren't on the pinnacle of their life. They're writing this to a church who are in the middle of pain. Love those who are causing you pain. Bless them. He goes on in verse 13 and 14. We jump down a little bit. And Peter says this, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? So his whole idea is this, do good to the world around you. Then he asks this rhetorical question, Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? Here's the beauty. He doesn't actually answer the question. Because the answer is a lot of people. I don't know about you, but you can be out there doing good all the time and still people don't treat you the way you deserve. There is no promise from here from Peter, do good and people will treat you good. He's saying, who's going to harm you if you seek to do good? Hey, probably a bunch. Probably a bunch. I don't know what a bunch is. Probably a bunch. But if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats and do not be frightened. Why? Because we are blessed. See, to be a Christian means you you re-understand what blessed means. What does it mean to be blessed? We have these weird, warped understandings of blessed, that to be blessed means to have a Ferrari or to, to ride, I don't know, maybe some people are like, I don't want a Ferrari. Like, or like a Toyota Land Cruiser or a penthouse or a beach apartment or a holiday house or your kids going to a private school or, or a partner or, or someone to go home to. And I don't know what blessed looks like in your life, but we paint this picture of a blessed life based on things that could be taken away from us and therefore lead us to be not blessed. But see, the Christian has an understanding of blessing that's not based on temporary circumstances, but on eternal realities. 
Friends, I'm blessed, not because my life's not hard right now, not because there are not things coming against me, not because I'm not tired and wondering, when am I going to get a full night's sleep? I am blessed because Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. He stepped into my darkness. He called me son. He said, for the next 80 years, this life may be hard, but for eternity, you will know the goodness of my love and my goodness. When I make all things right again, you are blessed because your life is not based on temporary realities, but eternal circumstances that nothing can change. So if you are blessed, friends, then you have nothing to fear because no one can take your blessing away from you. They can take money. They can take health. They can take our cars. They can take our sleep. But they cannot take away the identity one for you in Jesus Christ, your Lord. So we do not fear their threats. We do not be frightened. Why? Because verse 15 says this. We choose to revere Christ as Lord. What does that mean? What's Peter getting at here? In the middle of your suffering, in the middle of your trial, in the middle of your hardship, who is Jesus to you in that moment? See, too many of us, there's a movie called Dogma that came out in the 90s. Not a great movie. Don't go watch it. But it came out with this idea of like the buddy Christ, a way of marketing Jesus that was easy. Like Jesus was just your best pal. He was your homeboy. And it's, just, it's done more to damage the image of Christ than anything. Jesus is your friend. He calls you friend. He is your savior, but he's also so much more. See, for a lot of the world, they like buddy Jesus. The Jesus that rocks up to love them and encourage them. They love Savior Jesus who deals with our dirt, our sin, and our shame. And friends, what a blessing. If you're a non-Christian here today, Jesus is the one who you can bring who you really are to. He loves you. He forgives you. He washes you clean and gives you a new chance to start again. But he's not just your Savior. He came to be your Lord. Because we all serve somebody. We all serve somebody. And the reason why we can serve a non-Christian government, be in a non-Christian workplace, and we can be in a non-Christian family is because none of those things are our actual master. We have a better master. We have a better king. His name is Jesus. And when you revere Jesus as Lord, you place him at the right place on the throne. It says this. It doesn't matter what Putin does. It doesn't matter what Joe Biden does or Donald Trump does. Anthony Albanese or Peter Dunnett. It doesn't matter if it's La Nina or El Nino or if Qantas works out what they're doing with the chairman's lounge. Who knows what happens with all this stuff? Why? Because Jesus is Lord. And long after they're all gone, Jesus is still Lord. Long after the diagnosis has happened and passed, Jesus is still Lord. He holds all things together by the power of his word. Through him, all things were made. So I have this hope. I may walk to the valley of the shadow of death, but the one who is Lord, his rod, his staff, they comfort me. They walk through with me. And friends, there's something in the Christian that when we have Jesus in his rightful place, what we're able to do is we're able to say, I'm not afraid of what Russia or Ukraine are doing. I'm grieved. I'm saddened. And at times I'm appropriately angry by the state of the world, but fear doesn't come at me. Why? Because I know who's actually in control and he knows how this story ends. That's how we walk through pain. When life gets pressure on us, we can be held firm because we don't hold it together. Jesus holds us together. Friends, who is Jesus to you? There are some people in this room right now who you know Jesus is Savior, but you don't know Jesus is Lord. You haven't fully submitted your life to him. And when you don't fully submit your life to Christ, then you're still in control. And that's a very scary place to be. Why? It was your control that got you into the situation in the first place. When you submit, you say, Jesus, Jesus, you're in charge. I revere you as Lord. And when we do that, Peter says, 
and something really cool happens. You're walking through pain and suffering and people notice there's something different about you. So always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. What Peter's saying here is when there is a group of people who choose to live in a different way, not as weird, you know, removed from society Christians or like, you know, this other group of weird Christians who just look like everybody else, but this group of people who go, we want to live in the world and bless the world and walk through suffering with our hope in Christ, here's what's going to happen. People are going to ask questions. This, this verse, always be prepared to give an answer for everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope you have, is a common verse. You may have heard it before. If you've been in church for a while, you've heard it used when people talk about evangelism or sharing the faith. Because you see that word in there, always be prepared to give an answer. Give an answer is actually the Greek word apologia. apologia. And uh, I didn't study heaps of Greek, so forgive me if you're Greek. Apologia is actually the word which we get the, the practice of apologetics from. And apologetics, you may have seen them on YouTube, guys like John Lennox or William Lane Craig, are these guys who stand up and debate atheists and they defend the faith. They're able to answer any question. They have these live Q&As where someone's like, why can God create a stone that he can't lift? And then John Lennox is like, he can answer that. Or he hops up and goes, why if God is good, is there evil in the world? Like he can answer these questions. And what the problem with this is, though, is that we've taken this verse, we go back to it for me, Jody, and we think that what Peter is saying here is that all Christians are called to be apologists. That all Christians are meant to know every answer to every question. So it's like you're at the workplace and, and someone asks you a question about sex and the Christian value around sex, and you're like, I don't know. And what ends up happening is that we end up not talking to anyone about Jesus because we don't know the right answers. But here's the beauty. Friends, when you read this verse in context, you realize that's actually not what Peter's saying we've got to be ready for. God does not expect you to answer the question, can he create a stone that he can't lift? Like that was not God's expectation. What is he saying here? When you're walking through suffering and pain, when you have your hope in Jesus, people will notice that you walk differently. That person who's been diagnosed with terminal cancer that believes in Jesus walks differently. That person who's walking through family dysfunction right now walks differently. They're, not, they're still crying, they're still grieving, they're still pain, but there's something in them that refuses to be hopeless because they've got a hope in something greater. And it's what happens. People ask questions. Why is this not affecting you like it affects everybody else? How come you're still okay? What is your secret? And all we need to do in that moment is not answer with the right answer. It's to tell them about our hope. Tell them your story. The world doesn't need more answers. It needs better stories. It needs better stories. And friends, if you are here and you follow Jesus, you have a great story. If Jesus has saved you from your sins, if he has come and interrupted your life, you're now a son and daughter of God, you have a story that should be ready for this moment. You don't need to explain to someone what the book of Leviticus is about for them to come and know Jesus. They just need to know that he can change a life. People can argue against an answer. They can't argue against a story. Well, they can, but your story. What are they meant to do? You didn't experience that. Okay. I promise you I did stick around for long enough, friend. Watch what happens when my life gets squeezed. So friends, what is your story? Are you ready 
to give a reason for the hope you have. What is your hope? Simply answer these three questions. What was your life like before Jesus? Before we interrupted, what, what was going on for you? I grew up in the church, so I was like, I've always been a Christian. I haven't always been a Christian. I've always been a form of a Pharisee. And then Jesus interrupted my story. And then how did Jesus come to be the main actor in your story? How did he interrupt it? Do you know? It might have happened in a moment. For me, it happened over about five, six years. And then how has he changed everything now? If you can answer those three questions, friends, you have a testimony. You have a story to share. You have a reason for the hope in the middle of your suffering and your trial. Can I encourage you this week? Go home and pray. We haven't coffee downstairs. Ask someone about their story. Our world needs to hear better stories than we're hearing right now. Our media cycle right now is telling us stories of defeat and darkness and death. We need to be telling stories of hope in the middle of darkness. You have a story. How do we share these stories? With gentleness and respect. Verse 16 goes on. It says, share these stories with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. When we share our story, we don't force Jesus upon people. We just tell Jesus, people about the man we know as Jesus. The difference between like, oh, you're a sinner. You need Jesus. And saying, hey, man, can I tell you about my life? I was lost. Man, I was, I was broken. I was sitting down the back of me life for being at church. And I'd done a bunch of dumb stuff the night before. I thought I was a Christian and I was a fake. And in that moment, I met Jesus. He came and he told me, Michael, you're lovable. Despite your darkness, I see you. And I love you. And my life's never been the same. I stopped chasing the things the world told me to chase and I began being known by the one who'd been chasing me down. You could have that too. It's a different approach than being right, isn't it? It's about knowing my story and inviting someone to encounter what I've encountered. But we live a life, right? It says keep a clear conscience. Why? Because it's so interesting if I'm sharing this story with someone and then the next moment they see me walk out of church and live a life completely different than the one I claim to follow. Edmund P. Clowney, I'm pretty sure, goes on and he says it like this. This is a commentator that I've been using. Sorry, it's Pete H. Davids. A second commentator that I've been using to study for one Peter. He says, but it is not enough to simply give an answer. How they give an answer and the life behind the answer are far more eloquent than the words they speak. When you want to tell people your story, make sure they're able to look at your life and see Jesus. Does this mean you're perfect? No. Friends, it means that people are visibly able to see what we do when we make mistakes. We own them, we run to them, and we repent for them. It's not about perfection. It's about living with the humility to stay close to Jesus. Brennan Manning, one of my favorite um, quotes from Brennan Manning says this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips but deny him with their lifestyle. It's what an unbelieving world simply finds so unbelievable. May that not be us. What's Peter's main point here? I didn't say it's the 8 a.m., come to the 10 a.m., get better material. Simply this, suffer well so that people know Jesus. Suffer well so that people know Jesus. People won't believe in Jesus because of how good your life looks, but because of how you walk when nothing's going your way. That's when they go, I want that. Because suffering is a universal experience. Why? Why do we suffer well so people know Jesus? Because verse 17, because Jesus suffered. 
For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ so suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Peter looked at Jesus, and Jesus says to Peter, I'm going to do things that will also be required of you. Just as the world hated me, it will hate you. You will have trouble in this world, Jesus says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. We can hold on to this short and present hope. We do not have a God sitting up in heaven who doesn't understand, who is unrelated. He is a God who has suffered, who has been tried, who's been falsely accused, who's been insulted, he's been beaten, he was crucified for our mistakes, but he rose again. So we know on the other side of suffering, our worst day is not the last day. Because the last day, friends, will be one where trumpets sound, our king comes home, and we are renewed and perfected as all things are made new again, and we will enjoy them for eternity. This is our sure and present hope. But, you know, I get to the end of this, and I'm like, well, it's all good for Peter to write from Jerusalem to the church in Asia Minor, but I remember who Peter was. I've read the Gospels. He didn't get this right. Do you remember that moment around the fire? Shortly after he cut off a dude's ear, he was having a bad night. And what happened is Jesus gets hauled away to his death. So where's Peter? He's a minority. He's under suffering and pain and persecution. And people start to ask him about the reason for the hope he has. Standing around a fire, a girl says to him, Hey, I know you. You're with Jesus. That guy they just arrested. What does Peter say? I don't know that man. Second time, someone else goes, no, 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 I swear I saw you with the Nazarene. You're one of them. Peter, what does he say in the middle of his suffering, his pain? I don't know what you're talking about. Third time, someone asks Peter, Peter, I know you were with Jesus. And the third time, he denies him. Peter isn't writing from a place of, I've got this right. He's writing from a place of, I know what it's like to get it wrong. In the main moment that I can remember from my time with Jesus, I wasn't there. But here's my question. What's changed in Peter? Because he goes on to lead the church, be a father of the church, but not because he denied Christ, but because something shifted in him. You know what it was? He encountered the resurrected Jesus. Jesus was not just his teacher, his savior, his Messiah. Jesus was his Lord. Do you know what the second thing was? He was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So in a moment of suffering and pain, that was just my alarm telling me to shut up. In the middle of my suffering and pain, when everything was pushing down on Peter, all he had was his flesh to sustain him. But in the middle of suffering and pain in the future, where he now writes about it, he had the Holy Spirit to stand firm, to give an answer when it was called upon him. Because friends, here's the beauty. No one's asking you to do this on your own. God doesn't send you out into the wilderness and say, hey, go be better, try harder, work more. That's not grace. Grace says this, come as you are. He fills you up with his power, his presence. So with boldness, you can stand in a world in the middle of suffering and pain. Remember that Jesus is Lord as the advocate for Jesus. The Holy Spirit reminds you and then speaks for you and through you to people right in the right moment. That's the power available today. So two questions to finish. Do you know Jesus is Lord and are you filled with the power of the Holy Spirit they're the two qualities that will mean we will stand firm in every trial and people will come to know Jesus let me pray thanks Reese. Jesus just in this moment I just want those two questions just to sit in our hearts 
Do you know Jesus is Lord? And are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Right now, I've described a hope for a future that maybe some of you don't know. Maybe some of you don't have. A hope that says your worst day is not the last day, that Christ forgives you for your sins, that you are washed clean and you can start again right now. And I want to ask this question. Do you know Jesus as Lord, as Savior and as friend? And if you don't, friends, right now today, you can be forgiven for anything in your life and you can start again. So I want to make this offer. If you want to know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior today, if you want to come before Him, repent of your sins and have a hope for your future, Right now in this moment, wherever you are, would you raise your hand? I'd love to pray for you. I'll wait for a moment. If you want to hope for the future and Jesus to be your Lord, would you raise your hand right now? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Move in power, Lord God. Thank you, Father. With no hands raised, I want to ask a second question today. If you were around the fire with Peter, what would you have said? Would have you had the courage? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit to a way with the boldness to testify? And if not, I want to pray for you today that you'd be made aware of the Holy Spirit is not just with you, He is in you. Maybe some of you today need a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit because there is a family member, a colleague, a work person that you know God's put on your heart is going to ask you a question and they need to hear your story and you need boldness and courage. That comes from God. And so friends, today, if you need, you know if you were around that fire with Peter, you would have done exactly what Peter did, but you want to be a person that knows the reason for the hope you have. If today you need the boldness of the Holy Spirit for whatever you're facing in your work week, I wonder right now, would you have the courage to stand? I want to pray for you. If you want a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit to testify the goodness of God, would you stand wherever you are? Thank you so much. A couple people standing. I'm going to wait for a moment longer. I was praying for Kulungata this week. I just sensed this was the word that God wants to empower you, remind you and equip you with the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Have you got someone standing next to you? Can you stand with them and put your arm on their shoulder? Peter and Vanessa, I just feel like you guys should just be praying with some people. Can you just go and make yourselves available? Go stand with some people. If you, want, if you feel led on your heart, you're a Christian and you believe Jesus is Lord and you want to pray with someone, can you just go put your hand on their shoulder and stand with them right now? We're just going to stand together. We're just going to stand together. Thank you, Jesus. Lord God, I pray for every man and woman standing right now. I thank you for their courage. I thank you for who you've called them to be. I pray right now for a fresh feeling of your Holy Spirit. Empower and equip them in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I pray for that family member that we're worried for. Lord, bless bless these people who are praying for and seeking for that family member. I pray right now for that man who's worried about knowing what to say. Holy Spirit, pray you give us the words to say. I sense there might be someone here that had an opportunity to talk about God and you're worried that you, that you stuffed it up, that you got it wrong. You're just worried. Man, I, someone asked and I just didn't handle it very well. Um, I don't know who you are. I don't feel led to ask who, who that is, but I just feel God wants me to encourage you and say, 
he, can, he works through everyone and anything. He didn't need you to say it right, but he wants to bless you for your obedience, for your obedience to stand and say something when you could have been silent. You've been carrying shame and condemnation and God's going to give you more opportunities to share the gospel because of your obedience. You are blessed. You are blessed. Jesus, we pray, would you help us to be available for what you're calling us to do and who you're calling us to be? I'm just going to wait in this moment. If you're praying with someone and God's uh, just leading you in prayer for them, just continue to stand with them. Everyone else, just watch those people continue to pray for Would you stand to your feet? Would you stand to your feet, everyone else? And just as we're waiting in this moment of ministry, um, we want to sing a song called Open Heaven. And ultimately just says this, come Holy Spirit, burn like a fire. Come Holy Spirit, do something in us afresh. Open heaven over our lives that we'd be available for what you are about to do. So friends, I'm going to ask you to do something bold. If you believe the Holy Spirit is alive and active and living and in you, would you open up your hands in front of you? Please make yourself available right now. If you're not comfortable doing that, then I'd ask you, would you just do whatever surrender looks like for you? Close your eyes or maybe just join with us and sing. Let's make ourselves available for the Holy Spirit to move and speak in and through us in this moment. Let's worship together. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or our Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.